Sing Second Sports is a ProVision Advisors production. Let us solve your toughest communication problems and leave your team stronger and more capable for the challenges that lie ahead. Visit www.provisionadvisors.net to learn more. All right. Hey, hey, welcome aboard, everyone, to another great episode of the Sing Second Sports Podcast. I'm your host, John Schofield. Joining me is Bill Wagner of the Capital Gazette and Chris Cervello also joins us as the producer and running the board and old man radio. You know the story. Let's break down the week that was. First of all, congratulations to the Kansas Jayhawks, Bill Self, and our football season weather correspondent, Ava Marie, on KU's national championship. An epically wild tournament ended with four Blue Bloods in the final four, including my beloved Villanova Wildcats. KU was too much for Villanova in one semi, while Carolina ended Coach K's career in the other. And while Carolina stormed out to a 16-point lead over Kansas at halftime in the final, the Jayhawks are too much down the stretch, and they are your 2022 national champions. I'll just say this. After two years of COVID basically destroying March Madness, it was so nice to have the tournament back this year. It was great to take a ride with another Cinderella played this year by Shaheen Holloway, Doug Eddard's horrible mustache, and the St. Peter's Peacocks. And it was also great to hear the crowds, experience the buzzer beaters, and lose yourself in the madness. And if watching St. Peter's, if watching Colgate battle it out with Wisconsin in the first round told me anything, it's this. Navy needs to get back to this tournament. Uh, I know that Coach DeCellis and the boys were so close this year. But March Madness reminds me that Navy needs to take this ride every year, and hopefully the program is on a glide slope to make that happen. Congrats again to Army grad Coach K on a great career. And most importantly, congrats to me for having the forethought to pick Kansas in the March Madness pool. And thus, I am your 2022 Bracketology champion the way it should be. Okay, let's start breaking down some results from the week and weekend that was. As Annette Benning says in the classic movie, The American President, the tote board's heavy. Navy ran the record in the Star Series with Army to 18 and two. The previous record for Stars was 17, and that record went bye-bye this past weekend with wins for women's tennis, men's track and field, and women's track and field. I was at the Tose Tennis Center Saturday to watch the women Superintendent Sean Buck was in attendance, basketball captain Richard Njoku as well, and the huge crowd of fans got a great show from the women with a 4-1 victory over the Black Knights. Primarily, I was watching the three singles matches with Emily Tannenbaum, Casey Moore, and last week's podcast, Megan Akumaraju. Tannenbaum was involved in an emotional affair with Army's number one, Stephanie Dolahide, but Casey Moore really stole the show at number two singles. She won the first set but then was down 5-1 in the second set. And by now, Army had already won one of the first doubles matches and things kind of looked a little shaky. But Casey stormed back and took the second set 7-5 and closed the match. Uh, Komaraju won her match in straight sets and Tannenbaum's battle with Dolahide was eventually deemed unnecessary with uh, Tannenbaum up 6-5 in the second set. They just stopped the match right there because Navy had secured all the points they needed for the star and the star is what they got. They have now won the last three star matches against Army. 
along with securing victories in three of the last five meetings between the two service academies. Navy is now 19 in three. Congrats to coaches uh, Perrier and Pedernana. I talked to Allie Pedernana after the victory, and she discussed how huge Moore's comeback in the second set was in that number two singles match. And then she promptly asked me, hey, any word on track and field? And that, ladies and gentlemen, is the spirit of Navy sports and this athletic department. So what about track and field? The other two stars of the weekend were secured by the two teams, men and women, on a blustery cold day up at West Point. The men's team posted a 107-93 victory. The women's team claimed a 117-86 win. For the men, it was the 10th consecutive outdoor victory in the series, while the women claimed their seventh consecutive outdoor star. On the year, the Navy track and field and cross-country teams swept all six star competitions. So we all knew mules couldn't swim, but now know they can't run either. The Patriot League recognized five of these track and field athletes with honors this week, Miguel Matias, Katie Halbert, uh, Braden Presser, Hannah Lowenstein, and Joe Hurt. Uh, Matthias and Halbert were named men's and women's track and field athletes of the week. Uh, Presser and Lowenstein took the uh, field honors and Hurt was selected as the men's rookie of the week. We talked with captains Katie Halbert and Ashwin Briggs, the two captains uh, for the men's and women's teams, about those victories. Those interviews will air next week. But Wags, give me your perspective on these wins for track and field and the overall series with Army. 18 and 2 is amazing, but more amazing is that we're 22 and 5 versus West Point in all matchups. You've been writing for the Capitol for years. Have you ever seen anything like this? No, John, it's really, frankly, amazing. And I mean, it, it speaks to the leadership of the athletics department. Uh, when you are at a service academy, you're, you know, especially Navy with relation to Army, that is paramount. I mean, obviously, Patriot League championships and, you know, if your football American Athletic Conference championships are, are important, but the primary goal at the United States Naval Academy is to beat Army and clearly Chuck Gladchuck and the rest of the athletic department team have made it clear to all the coaches that is paramount. Uh, they've properly motivated them. Uh, they've properly prepared them. They've properly equipped them to beat the arch rival. And it, it's a stunning record. I wrote about it Sunday when I woke up and saw the tennis and, and track and field had put Navy over the top. That is the earliest the star series has ever been clinched and Navy has more opportunities. We have men's lacrosse, baseball, uh, women's lacrosse, and uh, some other sports coming men's up. Tennis. Yeah. Navy can pad the lead here, John. So uh, Casey Moore was kind of the star because you, you know, one thing in women's tennis, they play singles and doubles. It's a grueling, you know, match. You got to play, two separate matches and Casey Moore was uh, not only victorious in your singles match, as you mentioned, but also in the doubles match and the doubles point was crucial for Navy. And then uh, at West point, what Navy did in track and field dominating, winning the ma vast majority of events, uh, you know, tremendous performance on both the men's and women's side. And we, and we do talk to Katie Howard and Ashland Briggs about this and, what were the, some of the crucial elements of the victory? But we must credit Jamie Cook. Chet Gladchuk hired a director of track and field. This was a departure from years past when Navy had separate men's and women's coaches and very separate 
men's and women's programs. And Chet hired a director of cross country and track and field. And Jamie Cook has delivered on that strategy by elevating both programs. They really work and train together. It is as though Navy now has one track and field program with one mission and they work together to achieve that mission. So got to give credit to our guy, Jamie Cook, for the tremendous job of leadership for Navy track and field. And, you know, hoping that Navy moves on and sweeps Patriot League championships as well, John. Yeah, and that's what we talked to Halbert and Briggs about, uh, the upcoming Patriot League championships, will be, which will be at the beginning of May. And, yeah, you mentioned those last four-star matchups. This is a reminder to all of our listeners out there that April 23rd, I am now relabeling it officially the Sing Second Sports Star Day. The last four star competitions will take place on that day. Baseball and men's lacrosse will be up at West Point for their matchups. Men's tennis and women's lacrosse hosting the Black Knights down here for their matchups. I'll definitely be at the uh, at the Toze uh, uh, Tennis Center again and the women's lacrosse games. And we'll have the uh, men's tennis coach, Chris Garner, and his captain, Derek Thompson, on the pod the week before the big match. So let's move on to baseball. After falling to Lafayette in game one of Monday's road doubleheader, 3-2, to two, the Navy baseball team bounced back with a 5-2 victory over the Leopards in game two. And it was really highlighted by the effort of the pitching staff, a pitching staff that on this podcast and in other publications has been very maligned because they have been getting shelled. But Matthew Shearer allowed just two runs over five innings of work in his sixth start of the season. He gave way to Zach Ward, Nolan Jorgensen, and Landon Kruer, and they combined to allow just one hit over four innings of relief to secure the game two victory and a split of the twin bill. That split comes on the heels of a doubleheader split at Lehigh over the weekend before that. But Navy now sits at 12 and 17, 4 and 8 in the Patriot League. Next up for them is a series against Holy Cross this weekend up in Worcester. They need to get some wins. Speaking of getting wins, that's what Women's Lax does. The new Division One poll was officially announced uh, on Monday of this week. Navy Women's Lacrosse remained in the poll. They're at number 24. They have now been ranked five consecutive weeks this season. And this ranking comes on the heels of a really nice win over Colgate up in scenic Hamilton, New York over the weekend. They used an amazing defensive performance to post a 12-5 victory. They limited the Raiders' offensive attack to just five goals on 25 shots, including 18 shots on goal. So obviously, Joe Torres, which she's done a bunch this year, stood on her head. She turned away 13 shots en route to her ninth victory of the season. And it's the fifth time this season and seventh time in the sophomore's career that she's registered double-digit saves, very Jack Schofield-like of her. Uh, Jill Eby led the way with a career-high four goals, including the game-winning goal. Uh, she was joined by the regular names, Dietzel, uh, Roloffs, uh, Fiore, Charlotte Ryan. Um, just a really good win. Uh, the Patriot League announced its weekly award winners in Navy uh, women's lacrosse uh, uh, Alexis Bell and Joe Torres were named Defensive Player and Goalkeeper of the Week, respectfully. For Bell, it was her second career Patriot League honor, while it's the sixth of Torres's career. Navy returns to action on Saturday, April 9th, as the midshipman host BU in a Patriot League game. Uh, the game is part of a doubleheader with Navy men's lacrosse. Navy men's lacrosse will kick it off at 1 p.m., and then the opening draw for the women is at 4 p.m. This will be senior day. Uh, roll-offs and the rest will be honored as part of their senior day. 
so this will be broadcast on ESPN Plus and will start at 4 p.m. So Wags, Cindy Tinchel's team is now undefeated in the Patriot League. Their next two games should be victories versus bottom dwellers, BU and Holy Cross. But there are some tall tasks ahead of them after that with three games against the top of the league, American and then Army and Loyola, who are currently undefeated in conference as well. What are your thoughts on what they have to do and how the season might end up? Yeah, got to take care of business in these next two. And then, as we said on a previous pod, the three-game uh, closeout to the regular season is absolutely critical. I, I think Navy will beat American. Americans uh, seven and four overall, two and one in the Patriot League. Navy has consistently beaten American. I feel good about that one. It's going to come down to Army, West Point, and Navy. I mean, and Loyola rather, as far as the Patriot League championship. And obviously, Loyola is the big kingpin of Patriot League lately. And they've got a ton of super seniors and graduate students, as we've discussed before. Um, obviously, Army and Loyola still have to square off, so that will alter the picture a bit. But uh, Navy Women's Lacrosse is in a very good position and certainly in the mix to win the Patriot League regular season championship. And, you know, it's going to be interesting, John, it, regardless of how this all works out, is the Patriot League worthy of two NCAA tournament bids for women's lacrosse uh they have in the past it's happened uh, it'll be interesting to see let's say navy and loyola uh let's say navy beats loyola in the regular season loses in the patriot league tournament final i think they both get bids or you've you know changed that scenario loyola beats navy in the regular season and navy reverses the result in the patriot league tournament i think both of those schools will be worthy of bids they have very good strength of schedule overall records and have been ranked uh, real quickly re, uh, referencing baseball, John uh, Navy's got to win this Holy cross series because Holy cross is at the bottom of the standings in the Patriot league at two and six, but guess what? Navy's second to last at four and eight Navy needs to start climbing up the standings. And you, to me, you've got to sweep Holy cross on Saturday. And as we look ahead at men's across, John, this weekend is huge. This game against Loyola Saturday is a chance for Navy to beat one of the upper crust, if you will, of the Patriot League and, and show that Navy belongs. Uh, they did not do that at Boston University last weekend, John. Boston University is very, very good this year, and they, they kind of took apart the midshipmen on Saturday up there in Beantown. So, I, I at home against Loyola, which has had some struggles, has not quite been as good as a per, you know uh, advertised. I, I I gotta see Navy take this game against Loyola and show that it can beat one of the top tier teams in the Patriot League. John, yeah, particularly coming off of what happened up at BU, um, it quite frankly they were bullied in a seventeen nine defeat. Um, Kind of like what Kansas did to Villanova in that final four game. It was the opening punch in the face that sealed the game. You know, Villanova had like four turnovers. They were down 10 nothing, And then they kind of like kept it even after that. But they were already in such a big hole. You know, men's lacrosse up there at BU. BU opened the game by scoring eight unanswered goals. That's something you don't come back from. And Joe Amplo even said it. He was like, hey, we didn't put our best effort on the field today. Uh, we have a long way to go, and we need to put a lot of hard work to be able to compete with the likes of the top teams in our league, like Boston. And you know, Navy was not up 
to that task. And, you know, we, we now have to see what will happen with them sitting at two and two in conference and welcoming Charlie Toomey in on Saturday, how they rebound. So we'll, we'll see how that whole thing goes. Um, awesome breakdown, awesome discussion. Uh, we still have more to come, but also an exclusive interview with Navy football head coach Ken Niamatololo. That is coming up right after this break. Stick with us. This is Sing Second Sports. A special thank you to our sponsors at Red Red Wine Bar and Dry 85 on Main Street in Annapolis. Whether you're an Annapolis resident or if you're coming into town to watch sports or for a reunion or you just want to get back to Naptown as the weather gets nicer, my favorite is a Cabernet and a Cuban sandwich at Red Red Wine Bar or an Old Fashioned and a Dry 85 burger at Dry 85. You can't go wrong with either. Be sure to check out both establishments. And again, thank you to Brian and Lisa Bolter for all of their fantastic support. Now back to the pod. All right. Hey, hey, ladies and gentlemen, welcome back. We are so happy to have as an exclusive guest this week to talk about spring football at the U.S. Naval Academy head coach, Ken Niamatololo. Uh, Coach, number one, thank you for uh, giving us some time during an awfully busy period for spring football. It wraps up next week. Um, you know, what, what can you tell us about what you've seen? Um, again, a little bit of a return to normalcy after two COVID decorated years, how has spring football gone? Have you avoided the injury bug and who are some of the guys who have stood out? John, just been very, very pleased with our spring practice. Um, I think number one, uh, you know, they, they started working hard from January with coach Fitz. So I was pleased with our preparation prior to that. I was pleased with our fourth quarter. So I was interested to see how, you know, our spring practices would go, uh, in particular, our quarterback position. And I just, I've been so happy with Ty. I mean, he's had an excellent, excellent spring ball. He's, he's playing fast. He's getting us in the right play. <clears throat> when you go against Newberry's defense, they, I mean, there's so many different looks. <laughs> I mean, there's so many different things that they do. And um, he's, 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 He's operated really well. He's moving better. I think he's healthier. He doesn't have his knee brace now. So that's first and foremost, just really happy with, you know, Ty's play. Masai has been doing some good things too. Obviously, Xavier's playing lacrosse. And we moved Kai Rojas there. And Kai, for a guy who just moved there, is doing some good things. And so I've been happy with that. Um, We're faster at A-back. You know, I just feel like, you know, uh, the probably the biggest – one of the big surprises on our team has been Vincent Terrell. I mean, he's uh, – we knew that, you know, Mikhail Hayward could run. You know, he's a guy last year to make plays. We knew that uh, Daniel Jones has speed. But now with, you know, with Vincent, and he's had a really good spring, had a lot of big plays for us. You know, have Amin Hassan. Um, just we, we like we like that position, and we feel like, we're faster at the B-back position with, you know, so Anton's played really well all there and also um, Logan points, you know, and, and they've been backed up by Mike Maui and, and Dabo has been doing really good. So pleased with that. Um, the O-line is, you know, we have two of our starters that aren't, aren't practicing, uh, but it's allowed us to get, you know, more reps with the younger guys. Kip Franklin has been out and also um, Leon Mertesi. But again, our going against Newberry's defense and our defense is great for our offense. Kind of gets us prepared for, you know, some of the service academy games. 
So I've been encouraged with that. Before he got hurt, Jaden Umberger was playing well, just a little soft tissue deal. Mark Walker was playing well at wideouts. So we were encouraged about him. He got injured too, but and his stuff was none of those are major stuff. They they'll be back. So you know we're we we feel like you know we're okay there. And and on defense, we I uh, like what I see. You know we're playing really fast. Um, obviously losing Diego and Mikey are big big blows, but we feel like um, Gianni's played. Woodson's been playing really well, uh, along with uh, Colin Ramos. You know he's playing really well inside. Um, our secondary guys, we've got some young corners out there, but a lot of them are doing stuff. Embiid's been doing good. Uh, Elias has been doing good. We moved Matthew Peters out there, and he's doing some good things. You know, Ray, Elaine, I, I, uh, I think, just carried on from playing safety uh, in the Army game along with, um, you know, I've uh, just been really happy with the way that he's played back there, just um, – Played, played really smart and played really fast. Uh, on the edge, um, you know, Nick Straw is coming back. He's played a lot for us. Also, um, John Marshall, they played a lot for, for us. But the two uh, backup guys, I, we're really excited about Jordan Sanders, doing, doing a lot of good things at Raider. Uh, so really excited about him. And then inside, obviously, we got Biscuit, Clay Comrell, um, you know, our interior guys. Um, Justin Reed, uh, Creedon, uh, Folger is inside. So just, just a lot of guys, uh, Barber, uh, Mike Barber playing inside has done a good job. And so encouraged by a lot of our young guys inside, uh, Gibby too, uh, our safety, you know, he's played really well at safety. So I'm just encouraged, you know, John, just encouraged by what's happening. I feel like there's a lot of good competition going on right now, you know, going against each other. But those are the kind of guys that have stood out. Probably two inside linebackers and probably our young D-backs and Vincent Terrell. We've kind of scaled back um, Mikel Hayward a little bit because we know who he is. We don't want to get him hurt. And so, we, you know, he hasn't had as many live reps. But, yeah, that's, that's kind of the guys right now. Wags? Well, Coach, we have talked about it. Uh, I have written about it. But can maybe you tell our listeners on Sing Second Sports – the transformation of Ty, because I'm going out to practice and it's like a, a different player. Um, I was really struck at the Navy Pro Day because he came out there to throw the ball to, to, to serve as the quarterback for the Pro Day. And, you know, he was warming up beforehand while the guys were running the 40 and doing broad jump. And he was, he was loose. And frankly, I would use the word swagger. He's got some swagger to him. I mean, you must be so pleased because your quarterback needs to be a leader and Ty, you know, kind of, you know, as a sophomore, first time starter, he, he wanted to not be, you know, out front and center. But I think now after his success last season, he feels much more comfortable stepping into a more forceful role. Well, he's got the perfect coach and coach Jasper, you know, cause Ty is kind of the loosey goosey, you know, he's just a, kind of like Ricky Dobbs, just a, you know, fun, going easy going person not so much like you know Keenan was more of a uh methodical business-like um Malcolm was actually really intense you know I mean on the field but you know Ty sometimes you know I have to not look at him sometimes because sometimes he's too loosey-goosey for me but that's his personality but it's like Ricky 
You know, I mean, I remember game play with Ricky Dobbs that we'd be down, but you just look at him sideline like, oh, he was so confident. Our coach will be fine. We're okay. And that's kind of what, you know, kind of ties mentality. And, you know, coming back, thinking about when he was at Naps, he, they beat Maps when he was a quarterback, you know, Army prep school. He didn't play all of his freshman year, you know, the COVID year. And then, you know, we, he wanted to start a job. And, you know, I, I think I laid too much expectation on him in the Marshall game. And, you know, I'm upset with all, you know, different things. But I was his first start in two years. But I think the game wags it. And he, and he did some good things. He played well against Cincinnati. He did some good things. Didn't, not so good against Notre Dame, but. I think there are a lot of quarterbacks that didn't play so well against Notre Dame. But I think the Army game wags was his coming out party. Uh, and, why, and Scott and I were talking about this. The guys, when you win that game, it does something to you. It just boosts you and catapults you to another level. And, but I, what I've tried to help him, I, I that's great that you won the game last year, you know, as a starting quarterback, but you have to move forward. You can't rest on your laurels. But it's given him a ton of confidence. He, he's a really smart kid, so his grasp of the offense is at a whole new level. And just, I'm, I'm, I feel so much better this spring just because just seeing how he's playing. You know, as we know in this offense, or in any offense, when the quarterback plays well, you got a shot. Well, so you had mentioned Kai, who uh, really kind of had a breakout season uh, in 2021 as a slot back, made some big plays. And I know he's working at quarterback, and you've been pleased. And it can only help him with his understanding of the offense and his confidence, et cetera. But would it be fair to say that if he's not the starting quarterback, you want Kai on the field somewhere? I mean, maybe at slot back? What's your thinking on his future? Most definitely, Wags. You know, we, we want to get our best guys on the field. A lot of it was, you know, because Xavier was, you know, playing, playing lacrosse right now. So we wanted to uh, give Masai a lot of reps. We also want to get Kai a lot of reps. He's a really good athlete, played quarterback in high school, so we want to see what he could do. He's done really well. But if he's not the starter, um, yes, we're, 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 we're our, you know, right now Ty's just separated himself so much in, in spring ball. I mean, he's just separated himself from the pack. He's just playing really, really well. So Kai, I think Kai sees that even though Kai's playing well, it's just that Ty's playing so well that he separated himself that, you know, it's been a, a good for him to be there. And I think it will only help his knowledge, but yeah, we won't leave him as a third, you know, fourth string quarterback when he could actually, like you said, play a lot for us at slot back. And so obviously you've been very pleased with Messiah and say that he looks like a different quarterback as well during spring camp. Um, if Xavier comes back and happens to be third string, is there a chance Xavier or line? could play slot back because he kind of resembles a slot back in a lot of ways. And he is a very shifty, quick guy. I could see him ex being uh, excelling as a slot back. You know, we've talked about that. It's, it's, you know, one of our thoughts as we think about things, but he's also a really good quarterback, uh, you know, and you're always, you know, if you have a starter, you're always one play away from being the guy in the game. So we got to fact all of that in ways, you know, do we, do we leave him as a backup? Do we get him on the field? But your your question is a great one, and that's one that we, you know, we talk a lot about in the staff room because we definitely want you know Xavier on the field somewhere. I mean, he, he needs to be playing. So uh, on the defensive side of the ball, you mentioned Creden Folger. He's a very interesting story. Uh, committed to Utah State, then promptly went on his Mormon mission for two years. Uh, I interviewed him 
he's got a great personality. Um, Coach Dupay, who was involved with bringing him here to Navy after things didn't work out at Utah State, said that coming right out of a two-year Mormon mission, the guy at 255 pounds could dunk a basketball. So he's got great explosion. I mean, do you think you may have found quite a gem uh, in Creedon Folger? Yeah, I think Creedon has definitely got a, sh- a chance. You know, he's still learning. But he's a great young man, great kid from a great family. And he's got the tools. He's still uh, trying to get up to stuff with the way we like to play, the pad level and the, the elite eat that we want to play with on defense. But I think as he starts to turn it loose, wise, he's definitely got the tools because he's explosive and he's strong and he's a good football player. But, I, uh, you know, he's still learning the defense. So sometimes you're learning you're a little bit, I don't know, um, hesitant sometimes. So if I see anything right now, probably the one thing is probably a little hesitant, but I've also seen glimpses of, wow, I mean, this kid's got a chance. So he's, he's a work in process, uh, progress, but he's a tough kid. He's a great kid. And we're expecting big things from him this year. And then you mentioned the inside linebackers. Obviously, Diego Fago is the big loss, the heart and soul of the defense, an All-American, All-American Athletic Conference selection for three straight seasons. Will Harbour. I mean, he looks the part. He's very similar body build to Diego. I mean, I know we don't expect him to be Diego, and he should not try to be, but do you think Will Harbour can give you what you need at the Mike linebacker spot? Yeah, well, like I said, you know, Will's – we're really excited about Will. He's been in limited role. He's practiced, but not, you know, not too much full contact stuff. Uh, But he's, you know, working really hard. He knows the defense really well. Uh, but there, he's a because of kind of his situation, it's allowed us to get more reps with Gianni and also uh, Ramos, you know. But I we feel like, you know, like you said, with Will coming back, he's definitely going to be a kid that's going to, you know, be, be able to help us. Smart kid, great leader, and again, another kid we're looking, you know, for big things from him. So obviously, when we mentioned Will Harbor, he was the Vice Admiral Mac Award winner last year as the most improved player during Navy spring practice. What uh, you mentioned, Vincent Torella, he's got to be one of the guys that's a candidate for that. Could you maybe mention you know, two or three or four other names of guys who have made a significant jump and might be in the running for the Admiral Mack Award winning uh, award? Yeah, let me just go back to linebacker real quick. But we feel really good, Wags, because we're too deep there with with Will and also Gianni and also Alex Ramos and also Tyler Fletcher. So we feel like we're as deep or too deep there as we can have. Um, for the Admiral Mac, um, yes, Vincent Terrell is definitely one of them. I'll say Jordan Stevens. Uh, excuse me, Sanders. Jordan Sanders is one of them. Um, our two inside linebackers, our two guys that have done a really good job. Our two young B-backs with uh, Anton and, and Logan. You know, they, they've done a good job. Um, but yeah, those are the guys, you know, off the top of my head that I, I think about it, done a good job this spring. Um, our corners, we've had some young corners do some good things, but it's, it's I think it's going to be a pretty uh, highly contested, you know, race this year because there's a lot of guys that have done well, but probably in my mind, just off the cuff wags, probably the, the leader right now is probably Vincent. I mean, he's, he's been pretty dynamic. And coach, you usually make that announcement on the last practice or will that, will that uh, announcement come out, you know, sometime in the next week? 
Yeah, it'll probably be next week sometime, John. Awesome. And and before I let you go, you know, Wags brought up Diego. Um, I'd I'd love to get your your impressions of how Pro Day went for Diego and Mikey McMorris, who you know a lot of good feedback came from there. How much does it? It's got to warm your heart to see you know how they perform at these pro days, and and I'd love to hear if if you've received any calls from NFL execs about whether they should take a flyer on one of these guys. Well, I was really proud of them, John. I thought they performed well. It was great to see that many NFL teams here. You know, what I mean, so there was a legit interest, you know, from NFL teams. Uh, I thought Diego looked awesome. I mean, he, he tested really well in the weight room, in the vertical jump, and all those things. Um, and also, he did well in on the field drills. Uh, Mikey, I think, jumped like a thirty-nine. You know, he jumped really well. Diego jumped well too. I think he jumped like thirty-six or thirty-five. So I don't want to say too much of a number because I don't know if I'm exactly right on it. So I don't want to give misinformation. But you know they did well in their their 225. Um, you know our two other guys that participated too. I thought they voted well for themselves. You know, but it's so tough to get in the league. But I thought Carlinos AC did a good job and also Chance. Um, but Diego definitely had a great day. I know Mikey's been invited to some other uh, camps and so to speak and. Diego, I know a lot of the scouts grabbed him after and were talking with him. And so um, I have talked to a couple of coaches about, about Diego and they're very interested in him. And so he's doing really well, really happy for me. You know, he's I think like 6'3 or something, 235. He looked really good, looked strong, performed well. He's really happy for him. But it's probably the first time he's been that healthy in a while. You know, just the recovery time, John, from the season. And, you know, he looked really, really good, you know, on his on-the-field uh, linebacker drills that they put him through. And Mikey, you know, likewise. So it, Diego or even Mikey or, or anyone getting drafted is great for the brand of football, which has got to then have an effect on recruiting, a positive effect on recruiting. But here we are. You're starting to see kind of a, a, a downward spike in terms of applications to service academies, applications to ROTCs. As we pulled out of Afghanistan and 9-11 is further in the rearview mirror, a lot of kids who are getting recruited now were not born when 9-11 happened. How have you noticed you know, the trends in recruiting having you know, just gone through the process of what kids are looking for? And is it harder to recruit to a service academy now, even if you are making pros like Diego? I don't know if it's harder, uh, John. I think it's it's always been hard, but you know, there's so many kids throughout the country, and I feel like there's always the right fit for the kind of kids that we're looking for. I was just talking about this the day. I mean, when we were, you know, whatever, eleven and two, and four and eight, I think you get in some some of the same doors because you're looking at some of the same kids. First of all, academically, right off the bat, it cuts your pool. And then kind of like you mentioned, okay, who's interested in the service academy? So that pulls there. They recognize that we play good football here. They recognize opportunity there after that. Um, but the military component's always here. You know, our cell has always been the life that you get coming here. That's always our recruiting pitch. It's, you know, it's not about the, the next four years. It's about the next 40. And, and so I, we feel like we, we've always found the right kids that fit in for us. Um, and it's always hard to recruit here. I don't know if it's gotten any harder. Um, and so, yeah, I mean, 
I think that's kind of I don't sense it any harder than it's been in years past. John is it's just hard every year. <laughs> yeah. Uh, well, I mean, but obviously you're bringing in the right system guys and and the ones that Wags is talking about before and that we've covered for years are all guys who buy into the system and that's what's great about the brotherhood. Wags, I'll give you uh, the final question. Thank you, John. Uh, one thing that I think is important to ask you about is the uh, captains. Um, used to be that Navy would name captains uh, during the winter conditioning sessions and then have them on. Well, I think he used to announce them at the Navy football banquet and yes. they would be on board going into spring camp. But uh, you've chosen to wait until spring camp because you feel that's part of the audition to become a captain. You know, let's see what you do out on the field with the uh, with the helmets and pads on. Um, where are we with that? And when do you think you might be having a vote for your team captains? And when might you announce them? Probably the same time, probably next week. We'll probably have our voting here soon, but it's getting closer. You know, we're almost past halfway wags. And so we're at a point that we're probably, where guys will have a sense of who they'd want to vote for. The cool thing I like about it is it's, it's a peer voting. So it's not, you know, it's, it's not as coaches course, you know, yeah, let's get our quarterback to be the, the captain. You know, it's the players vote for them. They see it, you know, and so it's, that's what I've loved about it. And so um, I, I'm interested to see it is because there's a lot of guys in contention this year. And so I'm, I'm interested to see who, who the team votes for, but uh, probably early next week, we'll make that announcement. We'll probably vote for it at the end of this week and then announce it next week, probably along with that. Mac. And if I may coach, before I let you go, an interesting dynamic that you deal with with that other coaches don't have to deal with is that team captains are typically three stripers and thus typically seniors. Um, you know, at other schools, I know that there are, a, there are a lot of cases where a team captain can be a junior, can be even, you know, a, a, a more of an underclassman. Yeah, would it, would it ever be in your interest to see like a, a, a junior serve as the team captain? But you've been there forever. You know how the system works and there's merit to it being a senior. We'd just love to hear your thoughts and whether you ever did have a, a rising junior who you would who you said, hey, this person could probably be the team captain right now. You know, that's why we went, John, into more captains. Just kind of felt like it was more of a consensus we went to four captains. Now the, the academy will only allow us to have two, you know, captains per se, official captains were struggling. But just as far as captains in a, in a team to kind of make sure they're policing the team and making sure guys are doing the right thing. Um, I wouldn't be opposed to it, but if, if we do get one voted like that, you know, if they vote for somebody, obviously it wouldn't be a three-striper, you know, carry the – um, some of the credentials necessary to be a captain at the Naval Academy here, but I'm okay with that. But it hasn't been a case, you know, like Strauss had put on there. Probably Keenan could have been in his junior year. There's probably been a some some candidates in the past. We just haven't had it. But if somebody voted for one and we felt like it was legitimate and for the best interest of our football team, I would do it. Obviously, but it it's kind of like the four captains. You know, only two guys would be officially recognized and two other guys to kind of help out. Great perspective. And coach, again, I so much appreciate in the middle of spring practice, uh, you joining us and giving us an update on how things are going. We'll check in with you next week on the captains and the Admiral Mack award winner, but thank you again for coming on the podcast and have a great week. Thank you, John. Thank you. Wags. You guys take care. That was coach Ken Niamatololo. Great perspective. We're going to go to break. And when we come back, Wags and I will take this baby out. This is sing second sports. 
All right, Sing Second fans, it's time for our Naval Academy Athletic Association announcements of the week. As John mentioned, the men and women's lacrosse teams return to Navy Marine Corps Memorial Stadium this Saturday, April 9th, for a doubleheader, starting with the men taking on in-state rival Loyola at 1 p.m. Then the Navy women's team takes on Boston University. And the first 1,000 fans in attendance for the doubleheader will receive a free Navy lacrosse foam finger. For tickets, call 1-800-US-4-NAVY or visit NavySports.com. Now, Looking ahead to next weekend, Easter weekend, Navy baseball returns to Max Bishop Stadium for a three-game series, an important three-game series, with the Mountain Hawks of Lehigh University, April 16th and 17th. On Saturday, the team will be celebrating Jackie Robinson Day during the doubleheader, which starts at 1 p.m., and the first 150 fans will receive a free number 42 Navy baseball jersey koozie as part of the festivities. Then on Sunday, Easter Sunday, bring the kids out to the 1 p.m. series finale for an Easter egg hunt at the ballpark. Kids are also invited to run the bases after Sunday's game. So that's two great weekends of Navy sports for you and your family. Now back to the pod. All right, ladies and gentlemen, we are back. Awesome conversation with Nehemiah as always. You know, the... The, the energy that he has, the excitement for the program that he has is palpable. And and I myself am, am just really excited. Number one, that spring football is kind of normal again. You know, I'm watching on ESPN, you know, the Michigan spring football games, the Ohio State spring football games. You know, hopefully the Navy spring football game comes back. I don't know if that's in the cards. But, you know, hearing hearing Nehemiah talk about what he's, what he's observed, um, I'm really interested in how the camp's going to end, who the Admiral Mack winner will be. Uh, you know, and what and what the season to be will look like. Wags, from your perspective, and you've been out there, it's been kind of a return to normal for you as well. You've been able to go out and and watch spring football and observe stuff the way that it kind of used to be. What are your takeaways of the team thus far? Yeah, John, as we tape this Thursday morning, I'm looking forward to going out this evening. Hopefully the weather will co- cooperate and I can watch a little action. I always love when they scrimmage and you kind of see the pl- players going good on good. and You kind of see who's who really is performing, um, had some nice breakaway runs from several players, fullbacks and slots. And uh, in the uh, practice I was watching last week, a um, couple of interesting storylines up. And uh, you'll be reading in the Capitol about Creedon Folger is a defensive end. And he was gone on a two-year Mormon mission. And prior in his, he, during high school, Prior to suffering a couple of very serious injuries, he was being recruited by Power Five conference schools. And then he suffered a couple of serious injuries and that, that kind of faded away, but he still signed with Utah State. But then he went on his two-year Mormon mission. And w- when he returned, uh, there have been changes. Uh, Matt Wells, who's a former Navy assistant under Charlie Weatherby, he left the program to go to another school and uh, Texas tech, as a matter of fact, which he didn't last long. And then his replacement at Utah state has was already fired by the time Creed and Folger got back. So he returned to a Utah state program that had completely changed and had no coaches remaining who had recruited him. And they kind of cast him aside and said, we got, we got no scholarship for you. So lo and behold, through connections, Joe DuPay, the Navy assistant coach being the primary connection, uh, 
Creedon Folger has landed at Navy, and they Navy may have found itself a kind of a big time player. And he's already in the mix at defensive end. And I met him, John, and he is a good looking prospect. He's two sixty five. He's so explosive. He can dunk a basketball, and he's a real engaging kid. I, I've interviewed him, and just really great personality. So that's a guy to look for. Um, another interesting thing in the last week, John, I went out to the Navy Pro Day. And that was a lot of fun. There was like 15, 16 NFL scouts there, mostly interested in Diego Fago. But I tell you what, Michael McMorris, the cornerback, looked really good. Yeah, and but I heard about that. Yeah, I, I'm starting to feel that Michael McMorris is a definite NFL prospect. I don't know if he'll get drafted, but I feel confident that he'll get signed as a free agent. Um, but Mikey McMorris is looking good. You know, we know we've seen it all four years. It, Guy's been a four-year standout. He's been one of the best cornerbacks Navy's had. But Diego did his job. He ran the 40 well. He uh, bench-pressed 225 pounds 23 times. He he looked good in his uh, shuttle hurdle and uh, all the agility drills that they do. He, he, you know, he, he put up the numbers that you would expect of a top prospect. He looked confident. Um, so uh, Diego, uh, he, he performed, John. Yeah, and I think the, the more that – Names like Diego Fago or Mikey McMorris that are called on draft day uh, that we can point to will continue to help with recruiting. And, and that's the excitement of this. I, I really do hope that eventually the spring game comes back. It's a huge community relations um, you know, bonanza, I believe, for local Annapolitans. I remember they used to make a kid's day out of it. You know, I, I really hope that game comes back. Um, but I really do hope for the future of the program that Diego gets a chance to play and that his name is called during the draft and that something good comes for Mikey Morris as well. Um, so, yeah, awesome conversation with Nehemiah, awesome breakdown. And again, if you want everything uh, that is Navy football coverage, check out Wags and all the articles that he posts on Capital Gazette. It is literally the most encyclopedic information you can get. As we go out, I'm going to give you my final take earlier this week. The United States Naval Academy Alumni Association and Foundation announced the 2022 Distinguished Graduate Award recipients this is coming on the heels of the 21 ceremony that had to be held last week or two weeks ago uh, because of COVID. So we have now announced the 2022 Distinguished Graduate Award recipients. They will be honored in a ceremony at the Naval Academy this fall, hopefully around a football game. Uh, the distinguished grads this coming year are Peter DeVos, class of 71, uh, Vice Admiral Doug Crowder, 74. I know Chris Cervello and I are extremely happy for Admiral Crowder. He is just a phenomenal dude. J. Michael Yeager, class of 76. You want to talk about uh, the physical mission? He was a three-year letter winner um, on the Navy football team. He beat Army three of the four years he was on the team, eventually served as a U.S. Marine, uh, and then spent 26 years with ExxonMobil. Another, you know, obvious piece of information here that you don't have to be an admiral to go out there and and do amazing things for this country. And there are people like J. Michael Yeager going out and serving in the business community, eventually serving as the CEO of BHP. Um, and during that time, he doubled BHP's profits in his eight year tenure. That's pretty good. Awesome for him to be a distinguished grad. Rear Admiral Peg Klein, also a distinguished grad. She served for 36 years. She was the first female commandant uh, and eventually was the senior advisor for the Secretary of Defense and currently serves as the dean of the College of Leadership and Ethics at the Naval War College. And then finally, friend of the pod, former guest, 
Vice Admiral Ted Carter's slap shot, becomes a distinguished grad, served for 38 years, has the most carrier arrested landings in history, 2016. I don't know how I remember that number, maybe because I've heard it a gazillion times. Uh, and he was the 62nd superintendent of the Naval Academy and one of the best bosses I ever had. He is currently the eighth president of the University of Nebraska system. So congrats to all the distinguished grads. Many thanks to Coach Niamatololo for his exclusive interview this week. Many thanks to our sponsors, to NAAA, to WAGS, for Ward, and Chris. I'm John. We're out. The thoughts and opinions expressed on this pod are our own and don't represent the views of the Naval Academy Athletic Association, the United States Naval Academy, or any organization for that matter. Play-by-play calls from the Navy Radio Network are used in the opening of the show and from time to time will be part of podcast segments.